every day is beautiful because we're in San Diego. Right? 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 I mean, no matter what, we're in San Diego. Thank you, Lord. All right, we're in our series in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, titled, Well Said. Get it? Well said? Jesus' conversation with the woman by the well. All right? And so we're looking up close and personal at a moment where Jesus has an opportunity to share his life, his faith with this woman. And my hope and my prayer for all of us is that we'll come through this series this month with some deep-seated convictions. Number one, God is at work all around us, and that our eyes will be open to become more aware of what God is doing. Number two, to know that as we align the purpose of our relationships with God's purpose, it is going to bring out the best in us. We will become better friends, better spouses, better colleagues and coworkers if we are asking Jesus, how can I join you in what you're doing in their lives. It's going to bring out his relationality in in us, his sincerity, his courage, his conviction, and his love is going to come out of us as we join him. So um, I got a special opportunity today to dump into this passage where we're going to begin to look at Jesus's actual conversation with this woman by the well. I've asked Nate and Debbie to come up and share with us today for one real special reason, um, because they are going to be leading a special class for three weeks beginning in March called Gospel Conversations. And the goal of this class is to equip, inspire, and support us in coming alongside what God is doing in the relationships in our life to see what Jesus is already doing. It doesn't matter where you are. If you're in high school, you're in college, you know, if you're retired, you know, it's a pickleball, you know, tournament. It doesn't matter where you are or what we're doing. We learned last week, Jesus is at work at jiu-jitsu class. He's everywhere. And if we'll open up these moments to say, God, what are you doing? Not carry a pressure, we got to make it happen, but to look to see where it's already happening. All right, this class is about helping us get onto the field and be a part of what Jesus is up to. So I hope you'll really be thinking about this opportunity as you listen to these two, because they do this starting in March, and then they're also going to be leading our uh, Alpha course, which is for people who are investigating Jesus. It's all geared for people who have questions about God, about faith, about the Bible. And so I'm really hoping this will kind of inspire you guys to want to jump in and be a part of what we're doing. All right, well, um, with that said, I want to read today's passage for you guys. So we're going to, won't you join me and stand up as we read from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 4. Here's the moment where Jesus and this woman meet at the well. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, see, his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. All right, so the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, I love this, and he would have given you living water. This is God's word for us today. But before we get into the passage, would you take a moment, turn and greet somebody and make them glad they came to church. 
Thanks, everybody. All right, you guys. Well, hey, before we, before we jump into the text that Ryan just read, it is Super Bowl Sunday, so I just need to take a poll and get it out there publicly so we can judge one another. Who, who wants the Kansas City Chiefs to win? Who's like Mahomes? Let's do it again. All right, who's Niners all the way? Brock Purdy, let's go. All right, all right. And who's like, who cares? It's just football. This is dumb. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And then, yeah, and then who, uh, who thinks Taylor Swift's actually going to win it all? And it's like, it's kind of her Super Bowl, yeah. I did ask my daughters. I took a poll at home, and I said, hey, girls, you know, who do you want to win the Super Bowl? And my oldest daughter, she said, I want the Travis Kelsey team to win the Super Bowl. She said, she doesn't know the name, but she knows that. And so I'm just, I'm pumped that they want to watch the Super Bowl with me this year. So it's going to be a good day in our house. Well, thanks for joining us in this series. Um, As Ryan said, we get to dig into this amazing conversation and interaction that Jesus has with this Samaritan woman at the well. And our hope or our goal is that by the time we leave here, it doesn't matter where you're on, on the continuum of like, I've never shared my faith with anybody or I do it every day. We're all going to leave here a little bit more confident in our ability to have spiritual conversations. You think that's possible? All right, well, that's our goal. That's where we're going today. So a couple of things before we get into it, things to remember as we are um, engaging people in our lives who are not believers, a couple of things to remember. One, people are not projects, right? Even in sales nowadays, we, we figured this out. We're not trying to sell something to a person. We have to build relationships with people. And that's what Jesus does with this woman at the well evangelism isn't just this outward conversion that happens in someone else. It's about inward renewal. God's working on both people during that conversation about inward renewals also happening in our own lives. And then remember, we are loved into a relationship, not taught into one. Think about when you came to faith Um, It was because you felt loved, you felt accepted, you felt the grace of God, the the learning, the teaching, the theology, the facts, you know, that kind of comes later as we grow in our faith. So just some of those things as we enter into our time. All right, well, when Ryan asked Debbie and I to teach, the first thing I did was try to get out of it. I was like, but Ryan, like, this isn't my sweet spot, you know, like, what about Willie? There's this guy, Willie, on staff who's like... (laughs) Like, he knows everyone, if he ran for mayor of Carlsbad, he would win. Like, this is the guy that should be here teaching today. And Ryan said, no, you're doing it. And so thanks a lot for that, Ryan. Here we are, and um, this is as much for me, hopefully, as it is for you. All right, let's throw that map up there. We had this up here last week, so I'm going to read verse 4 and 5. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So the typical route that the Jewish people would take was around Samaria. They took the long way around. They did not want to go the shorter route through Samaria because, as we know, they hated the Samaritans. There was this deep distrust, dislike for the Samaritan people. Um, Now, that goes way back goes back, you can trace it back to the beginning of Genesis, but one of the big breaks in their history came in 722 BC. An Assyrian army came in, they conquered the Jewish people, took some of them away into captivity. There was a remnant or a group left behind, 
And then what the Assyrians would do is they would move in another group of people to inhabit that land. So this Jewish remnant began to intermarry, intermingle with these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people, and they adopted their religion, their customs, their traditions. And so you can imagine when the, the captive Jews came back into their land, they're looking around and they're saying, everything's different. <laughs> you guys believe different things. They had a different temple, even that they had built. And so this is where that real separation happened between the Jews and the Sumerians. So why does Jesus take this route? Why didn't he just follow what was normal and take the long way around? Well, a couple things. One is he's doing the will of his father. He was called to go and spread the good news to all people. And then this, one of the other things he's doing is he's breaking down the prejudice that's in the Jewish people's heart. Right? He's saying, we love all people, even the Samaritans. And so he's trying to root that out. He does that all throughout his teaching. We know the story of the Good Samaritan, the famous story, Luke 10. And he's using the Samaritan as what? The good example. He's telling the Jewish people, hey, this is what love looks like, this Good Samaritan. So just imagine in your mind, what's that group of people that you think is crazy, that you think is out there, they don't believe like you, they don't think like you, and Jesus is using that example and saying, look it, this is what love can look like. Luke 17, there's another example. He, he goes around and he heals uh, 10 lepers, people with leprosy. So they all go away, and then one person comes back and says thank you to Jesus, and that was a Samaritan. So Jesus is telling his disciples, he's like, this is what gratitude looks like, what this Samaritan just did. And then the story of the woman at the well. He's saying this is what evangelism looks like. He's using that to root out that prejudice in the Jewish people's hearts. Verse 6 says this, Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So if it's noon, he's probably been, I don't know, maybe up at 5, 6 a.m. He's been walking for six hours. When's the last time you walked for six hours? If you can imagine, you'd be very tired. Very tired. So he's sitting there, he's exhausted, he's hungry, he's thirsty. His disciples have gone to get him food. And you can imagine he's probably not in the mood to have a conversation. Right, here comes this woman, and I don't know if it, you, but I'd be like, okay, I'm not, I'm not interested in this. And those are those moments, right, where Jesus wants to use us. You're doing a house project, and your kid's like, Dad, let's play Barbies. And you're like, really? Not right now. At work, your neighbor, we welcome those interruptions. That could be the moment where Jesus wants you to have that spiritual or that significant conversation with someone. Another reason why Jesus might not want to talk to this woman is because, according to Jewish law, a, a Jewish man should not talk to a woman in public, even his own spouse. Imagine that. So this other thing, it's like, oh, I don't have to. This is a past. Any Jew sitting there would be like, oh, I don't have to talk to this woman. I can avoid that. And Jesus, he, he still engages. And so here, I'm thinking in my own mind, I'm like, okay, so what are the things that hold me back from sharing my faith, from having a spiritual conversation. I had a long list. It was very easy for me to come up with all the excuses that I have in my life. See if you can uh, relate to any of these. I don't know the Bible well enough. Do you ever have that one? You're like, I don't know. What if they ask me a hard question? What if I don't know the answer? 
but people are loved into a relationship with Jesus. What about, I don't know any non-believers. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Most of your social circle, 80, 90% is other believers. Got to find a way to get out there. Like Jesus, he met in a public place where he encountered this woman at the well. I'm worried what my friends will think of me. That's a big one for me. What if they don't take me serious anymore? Like, oh, Nate, he just believes that fairy tale stuff about Jesus, and they kind of write you off. Maybe he has that fear. What about I don't have a desire to share Jesus? You just don't have that burning passion in your heart. Maybe it's been so long since you met Jesus, and that's just that passion to share is faded. But remember back, remember how overjoyed, how much it changed your life. But maybe we've forgotten. Maybe you're too busy, not in the mood. Or maybe you just don't know how to share your faith. Inexperience. If you've never done something before, right? How would you be confident in doing it? It's kind of like um, riding a bike. The good news is we can learn how to share our faith. It, it can be taught. And that's what we see from Jesus' interaction with this woman is there's a process we can follow and we can actually learn how to share our faith. I remember like teaching my kids how to ride bikes, right? It starts with training wheels. You put those training wheels on. Here's, here's some of them. And this is, a, by the way, a parenting hack. This was during COVID. And you put their, their bike on like shoes and you put on a Disney movie and it's a 90 minute workout and you can just get your kids to, you just get some exercise in, you know, and uh, just put on, so you guys can use that. That's for free today, you know. But mom, why am I on a bike in the garage with training wheels on? But it started out with my kid. You know, you're on the bike with training wheels. Before you know it, they're out in the street. They gain confidence. They don't have fear anymore. And so if any of that's going on in your spirit with, ah, I don't, I don't want to share my faith, just know and trust that you can, you can be taught. We can practice. And there'll be a peace around that. So Jesus, uh, in verse 6, he's tired. He sits down. Let's move on to verse 7 through 9. A Samaritan woman comes up. I think we got the picture up there. So just picture this scene. So he's sitting there. The Samaritan woman walks up. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink of water? That's important. His disciples had gone into town for food. The woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? So picture her. She's, her guard is up. Right? Here's this Jewish man. He should not be talking to her. So she goes up with like her guard up, her defense is up. She's ready to, to defend herself to this Jewish man. She's also a social outcast from her own village. She has all these husbands. So she's like, you know, the bottom of the pecking order. So her guard is up. What does Jesus do? How does he enter into this conversation or this relationship with the woman? He ignores her. Does he just ignore her? Just say, ah, I don't need to talk to this woman. No. Nope. Does he shame her and condemn her? Oh, you sinner. No, he doesn't do that. Notice what he does. He asks for help. That's shocking. <laughs> he asks for help. Here's the creator of the world asking a, a Samaritan woman for help. And he's literally in need. He's not just doing it for fun. Like he can't access the water. 
because he doesn't have anything to retrieve it with. So he's literally asking this woman for help. And what does this do in her heart? She's kind of shocked. She's taken aback. <laughs> like her guard drops her walls. Whatever she had up, it begins to fall away. She's like, oh, this guy's different. Something else is, well, I'm supposed to help. It's this empowering, trust-building question that Jesus asks her. And so some observations for us as we enter into conversations with friends or family that aren't believers is we enter with vulnerability. We enter with humility. We enter with questions. Maybe for me, it's like with a neighbor. I'm like, man, this parenting thing is hard. I'm struggling. Your kids are amazing. Do you have any parenting tips? I'd love to learn from you. Building trust. That's what Jesus does in this conversation. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is at, that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so water in the, in the scriptures, it symbolizes renewal, salvation. That's why in baptism, we do it in water. It's this new life that we've received in Christ. So this woman's carrying around all this shame, all this guilt from her past, and what's interesting in verse 18, when Jesus kind of calls her out and says, go get your husband, she doesn't feel judged. She doesn't feel shamed. It's in the presence of Jesus she feels completely free and at peace. And so for us, it's to be fully known by God is the place where we can experience true freedom in our lives. To be fully known by our Creator that's where we experience joy and freedom and peace. And so maybe some of you came in here today, you're not a believer, you don't follow Jesus at this point in your life, but you're carrying around either, maybe it's fear, stress, anxiety, depression, and you've kind of just shoved it down, you've hidden it, saying, I don't want to let this out, I don't want anyone to see this. But once we surrender that and turn that over to Jesus, that's where we experience peace. That's where we experience freedom. So Adam and Eve in the garden, they were, when they were sin, they were covering themselves. They said, we don't want you to see this, God. But when we turn it over to him, that's where we experience new life. So Jesus does all of this in one conversation, right? <laughs> this woman enters just, I don't, with her guard up, and by the end, she's overflowing with joy. She runs back to her village, tells the whole village she's experienced this new life. Jesus does that in one conversation. Uh, for us, as we, we learn this process, it takes time. It takes months or years as we, we interact with, with non-believing friends. But that's the goal, is to, to have this kind of joy that's infectious, that we want to tell others about Jesus. I love this quote from one of the commentaries talking about the, the women. This is the process she goes through. It says this, she tried to get rid of the thirsty man. She showed a dislike for the Jew. She heckled the rabbi. She was swept off her feet by the prophet, and she adored the Christ. This whole transformation happens in her heart. And so there's a process that you and I can learn to have these spiritual conversations. And so to share more, I want to invite up Debbie Samuels, if you'll give it up and welcome her up here. Hello, church family, my beautiful family. 
Um, hey, this is Oceanside Harbor, uh, one of my favorite places to go to. But there's one thing you may not know about this harbor, and that is many of these boats never leave the harbor. Now, I don't know the reasons. They might be investments, and they just sit there, or maybe the owner used to have joy in it, but the joy's kind of overtaken by busyness. And many of the boats actually are, <laughs> they just sit in the harbor with the people looking out at the harbor. All I know is that these, many of these boats aren't experiencing what they're meant to do, and that is ride the open sea. Many believers today are also not experiencing what they're meant to do. In Mark 16, 15, it says, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. The statistics say that globally up to 83% of the church does not share the gospel. So whatever the barriers are, Nate gave a lot, and we can all say amen to them. Nate gave a lot, but we are meant to go live in and share the gospel to the world. That is life. We get the privilege of bringing hope and empathy to a hurting and lost world. That's for all of us. All of us. So we're going to be taking a look at one of the tools that we train in gospel conversation. And this is called the five S's of a gospel conversation. And this is um, a place for deep conversation that leads to the truth of the gospel. Now, I know some of you are thinking, I agreed with every single thing that Nate just said of why I don't share the gospel. And I get that. I understand that. Some of you may even be thinking, I'm not sure exactly what the full gospel is. That's okay. We can move from there where you're at now. So what we want to do is just equip you with curious uh, questions that lead to relationship and the truth of the word. So I'm going to be giving you an illustration right now of the first time I use this. And in your handout, you'll see the five S's that are in there. All right? So flow with me. So my husband one year took me to Mammoth. And uh, I don't know how this happened. I'm not saying it was his fault. Okay? But... I did end up on a black diamond hill, alone, thinking my life was over. Um, this was not me. Uh, that's not me. Actually, this is me, um, right here, uh, pretty much, uh, maybe not quite. <sighs> it was a fun ride. But anyway, I got down to the bottom, and I just said, I I've got to take a break. I took my skis off, and I sat in the chaise lounge, and there was this couple sitting next to me, and they were about my age. And I said, this is so beautiful. And I said, do you guys get here often? And they said, well, now that we're empty nesters, we come up at least twice a month. And so we started talking about kids and grandkids and started developing this connection. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me right there and said, Debbie, this is a simple conversation. 
And I went, okay. So I said, I asked him this question. I go, now that your kids are grown, are there times you wish you could go back and reparent them? And she looked at me intently and said, I am shocked at how my kids are living. She goes, this is not the way I raised them. So yes, I would like a do-over, like I could give it to her or something. And I said, well, as a mom of adult children now, how does this make you feel? And she started to get emotional here and said, I feel like a failure. Like I could have done better at teaching them how to respect others, how to be kind, how to serve one another. But instead, it feels like influence and money are shaping them. And she goes, and I'm concerned now for my grandkids. So I, I took a breath, because this is a step. I said, listen, I believe that the Bible is true. And one thing that the Bible has showed me is that love is bold. And that love is the greatest gift that we have because we've been given the greatest gift of love by our Creator. And I said, one of the things I'm hearing from you is that you love your kids deeply. That'll never be taken away from you. Right then, my husband texted and said, come on, honey, I'll take you to a bunny slope. And so um, I knew I had to leave. And here I just said inwardly a quick prayer. I said, Lord, how do I connect them? What do I do? So I looked at them and I said, hey, where do you guys live? And they said, Carlsbad, California. <laughs> so I said, listen, so do I. I go, in two weeks, um, we're that crazy church that is at Ponto Beach at Easter sunrise service. And I go, why don't you guys come? I go, we're going to be talking about the truest love there is. And you will also learn that there's forgiveness for anything that you felt you haven't done right. And both of them looked at me and said, we will be there. That is the five S conversation right there. And I wasn't a Bible wizard. I didn't pull up the scripture or anything, but I was able to flow with trust with the Holy Spirit to be able to come to an invite. So let's dive into the five S's together, okay? So I'm going to go through them with you. All right. So the first one is simple. And this is what I call opening the door to a conversation. Uh, they will never look the same. It all depends on the context you're at. And so this demonstrates focus, attention, and care. Don't let distractions be a part of what you're doing right there. Turn your phone off a minute. Okay, that's all I'm trying to say nicely. Uh, quiet your mind and remind you, just, uh, just remind yourself of this one thing that this person is deeply loved by God exactly how they are right now. This is my favorite quote listening is so close to being loved that most people don't know the difference. And we don't spend enough time in our culture doing that well. Next is serious, and this is what I call stepping through the door. Okay, we're committing to go in further. 
And a friend of mine here at the church said, very rarely are conversations planned. Yet at these times, it's when the Spirit directs, it may be a horizontal conversation between you and I, but now I go into the vertical conversation of me and the Holy Spirit. Where is he guiding me to? Do you know that's a gift we have? I'll remind you of that again. So become curious, ask questions, and think about what does God have on his heart for this person right now? Next is significant. This is where you're sitting with face-to-face. This is a place of safety, there's no judgment, and there's empathy. This is also the place where trust is beginning to get knitted in between the two. So this is the point where we climb over the wall of what we see and we hear, and we're peering down now at what God is saying to us about them. It may take time to get there. It may take your own vulnerability. And with all of that, just ask more questions to be able to peer over that wall. Remember, resist the temptation to problem solve, okay? This, this ain't the time, okay? And also, simply sharing their life is a gift you get to have. So hold it tenderly. Next is scriptural. This is where we present the bridge of hope. Our greatest tool we have is the Word of God. This is the greatest tool. Do you know this speaks better than all of us combined? This is um, a place where the word revives, gives wisdom, it's encouragement, it inspires, and it reveals truth. And think about what would God want them to hear right now from his word. Then finally, it's spiritual. And this is the place of inviting. Take the bold step to go the next step. And here's a few ways that you can invite. Number one, ask them if you can pray for them. No one has ever told me no, even Uber drivers. <laughs> and they, people get the privilege of hearing a conversation between you and God about them. They're entering and opening the curtain to what that relationship could look like. It's a gift. Next, Ask them to meet for coffee or take a walk to deepen the relationship. Or if there is curiosity starting to come, invite them to come to church. Or if they have difficult questions for the gospel, the safest place you can bring them is to Alpha. This will be starting up in April. Bring them with you. And we create space to be able to ask those hard questions together. Um, I'm going to invite the band out right now. Oh, wait, no, I'm not done. Sit, sit, Richard. <laughs> few things I want to remind you of. First of all, the gospel is organic, and it takes time. This is my tomato garden that I have at home. And if you notice, there's tomatoes at the bottom, but it keeps producing more and more as it goes toward the light. So as you're having conversations and revealing the light of the world, you're going to see the birth of new questions emerge. 
One of the great things underneath that is that there is a whole root system you cannot see here. And that root system is what keeps the plant alive. We have a root system. And that root system is God that is doing the work that we cannot see. If you feel like you're failed, you remove that lie from your life right now. Whatever seed is being planted, this is what God works with. He is pursuing. So I'm going to share a story with you right now as the band. Oh, sorry, guys. I called you out early. We'll stand there anyway. Okay. <laughs> this story is near and dear to my heart. Um, this is a story about my husband, Richard. Uh, he, was, he loves a couple things. Number one, he's Canadian. And yeah, it's okay. Um, secondly, he loves the Oiler hockey team, and he loves Hawaii. So he's in Hawaii, wearing his Oiler hockey cap right over there. And a couple behind him at the checkout line, they look at him and they go, "We're Canadian. <laughs> We're from Edmonton. We love the Oilers." And that simple conversation turned into an invite. They said, "Come to our boat tonight that we've chartered for two weeks, and let's do a sunset cruise." He said yes, you know, don't worry. And so then uh, when he went with them, he's on the boat, it's heading out, and it's so beautiful. And Richard raises his hands and says, God is so amazing. You guys are so blessed to have this. And immediately the husband got angry and said, if we're so blessed, then why did my son take his life two months ago? The husband then immediately left to go down below deck. And the wife came to Richard and said, this has been a really hard journey for our family. And my husband is so angry at God right now. And we're here to scatter our son's ashes in a couple days. So the husband came back up in a few minutes and just said, you know, I'm really sorry I did that. And he goes, but I'm really struggling and he spoke with Richard about it and Richard finally said listen Jesus grieves with you and he says that Jesus is here with us right now so they got back to the dock and Richard gave them their his email address and said I'll be praying for you guys well he was supposed to fly home the next day but he somehow got an ear infection that night and so, I'm not smiling, it's sad. Um, anyway, he had to go to the doctor, and the doctor said, sorry, you're going to have to stay here in Hawaii a few more days, you know, until it clears up. And luckily, he got an email from the family. And they said, we don't know if you're still here in the islands or not, but if you are, can you come and be with us at our son's ash scattering? Ash scattering? They said, we'd love for you to read from the word. We'd love for you to pray for us. So he went, and it was a beautiful time. A month later, he got this letter. I'm going to read this to you, and then we'll worship. Richard, I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for doing the ash scattering for our son with us. You're so special. So crazy that a fellow Canadian, an Oiler fan nonetheless, is behind us at the line in the market. I just want to thank you for your transparency with regards to your faith. You don't know the impact you had on my husband who was angry at God after our son's passing 
as I think about, it was quite evident when you mentioned how good God was when we were out on the boat and my husband's reaction to your comment. I think because of your boldness, perhaps just in your nature, you somehow opened a wound in my husband that cuts very deep. Thankfully, he came around and realized that you were just speaking truth to him. Truth as you know it, not exactly how he saw it. Since our return to Colorado, we're back at church. We're even in a home fellowship. And your faith has restored our marriage. He is no longer angry with God for taking our son. We hope our paths cross again in this not-too-distant future as we will forever be grateful to you, your friends forever. Amen. Let's worship.